Hello! Welcome to tonight's podcast. Tonight we get super excited into the details on how to make maps better in and out of combat. We're joined by a couple people, Dagger House and uh, a new friend uh, named Judith. I remembered your name. Thank you. Finally. After we, after we finished talking, of course. Um, anyway, I hope you guys enjoy. Pause the video here. Start with our intros and all that fun stuff. Hello! Welcome to today's uh, late night classroom. We're going to start it up here right now and so on and so forth. Tonight's topic, as you can see from the screen on here, is how to use maps better in and out of combat. So, um, we're, uh, as we as we tend to do, we're going to break stuff down. we got a couple people with us tonight, so I'm super excited there. Um, <clears throat> oh, sorry, I've got something in my throat. I'm going to blame a frog. So, oh, he's gone. Alright, if you need to come back, feel free. Um, and or feel free to message in the Discord and I will most likely pay attention. Hey, look at that. Stream manager is working. Alright, people are watching on Twitch. Cool beans. Anyway, um, hello. Welcome. Sorry. So, let's jump into the topic here. How to use maps better in and out of combat. So, how, how do we generally use maps? We're going to start with that and then we'll get to how to improve it in pretty much all scenarios. So... Maps normally, right, are generally reserved for two situations, overland travel and combat, right? Those are the two times we pull out a map for anything. And a map is a pretty loose term for something that we bought at a store that has pretty things that we can be like, ah, that's a country. There's there's America. There's wannabe America in the D&D world, whatever, right? You can use pretty much anything you want for a map. Two, I scribbled on some paper, and this is, this is a tree, and this is a rock. Uh, don't don't do anything with those two items. They don't move. Whatever. However, you use maps currently, right? Um, we have several types of maps, right? So you got the straight map with no drawings, hexes, movement tiles, things like that. Some systems rely on that uh, because they aren't super strict. With you can only move five feet at a time, or whatever you're using, right? Star Wars is a fantastic example of that. Uh, Blade of the Dark, you know, doesn't even use maps besides maybe a city map uh, that you get to look at from top-down. Um, Legend of the Five Rings doesn't necessarily have a whole bunch of maps for you to use uh, for your character tokens. Like, it has some stuff, but generally it's pretty free-form. You know, you don't move hexes or squares, you just kind of move where you need to and do things. Oh, excuse me. And there is a time and place for that in pretty much any setting that you guys can think of, or not setting, uh, sorry, system that people use currently. Um, you can use those relatively freely without uh, too many complaints. Um, sorry. Okay, I'm not worried about that. Uh, right, so we have that. We get how we use maps. Again, moving in combat is a big one, and moving over land is another big one. Um, currently, right, when you're moving in combat, you have grids, five feet, yada yada. If you got to change stuff, you change stuff. But a lot of times you'll just have like a blank piece of paper, uh, or not paper, I should say, a blank piece of something with a grid on top of it that you've kind of doodled on to go from there. Um, and that's perfectly fine to use, right? There's there's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, it leads to a lot of, hey, we're going to do this, but it's a completely blank page. Um, you just have to imagine all the things, or I place extra dice or something to uh, show obstacles or things that you can't go through. You know, there's, there's good ways to do that, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but, 
that's that's how we use it currently, right? Uh, and then out of combat travel, obviously uh, a big part of D and D itself is overland travel, and I know that's complicated uh, in general, and generally I have to homebrew stuff. There's some good stuff in some of the books uh, for traveling overland to make things more exciting, but you know don't always have time to do seven pages of paperwork every time you go from point A to point B, um, especially if you're not traveling that far. So, uh, uh, Dagger House, where, where, where do we want to start on improving maps? So we kind of set up our premise of what we use maps for currently. Well, what should we talk about first for where we can improve stuff? Get a, get a poll. Um, I, I, I think um, you have to decide how much detail you're going to have in your map and what, what it's really show what your detail is for. So if, if you, like... Uh, if it's an overland map, you don't want to show every rock and bush, but you you want to show major points, crossroads, uh, any structures or towns. Uh, if you're but if your map is of a dungeon, uh, you're gonna have the DM map and you're gonna have the player map because they're not gonna need to know what monsters are in the next room, but they they might need to know you know what it looks like and where they've been, uh, so they run into a dead end and go back and look a different direction. So I mean, okay. detail how much detail and why you have the detail is important. Okay, so improving improving maps in general, right? So just uh, across the board, level of detail, right? Uh, the more detail you put into things, the more uh, useful the information is for the players. Uh, we did. I, I wasn't even going to get into the the dungeon maps, but that's probably also something we should cover as well um, for revealing stuff and things. Uh, this was more of a open worldy on the open where you could see everything, so you don't have to worry about covering stuff. But we'll we'll cover that too. That's it. That's a fantastic idea but level of detail okay right so how do we improve level of detail in our maps we'll start with big maps and then go to small maps and work our way down right so big map detail um because you don't want your maps completely clustered with oh this is a kingdom uh called this name it here's all the towns that are all grouped together so you can't read any other names because you know writing is big if you're lucky enough to be using a, a digital format you know you can only zoom in so much um those kind of things. Like you said, you don't need every rock, nook, and cranny for those kind of maps, obviously. But I think some details are important. Um, not having country names on maps or uh, borders, things like that, uh, can really make it hard to tell like what to expect when you go into an area, uh, depending on how big your world is. Uh, environmental uh, details, you know I mean? If you're next to a volcano, it being hot and sandy or whatever, those are important things to have on the map. Uh, Especially if it's just like a, uh, what's the appropriate term? Like if it's just a colored map, so it doesn't show like the actual landmarks or things. Having notes on, hey, this area is very much like this, or this country has a very, you know, whatever, on a separate piece of paper, uh, is going to let your players do stuff. Also, it'll let them role play like, hey, I already knew this because I've been there. Or they have to talk to someone who's been there and they have to gain that information from them, giving them another role play opportunity for those kind of things, right? So level of detail on high-end maps. Um, more is more, right? Usually we say that more is less, uh, or less is more, less is more. That's what I meant to say, sorry. Uh, going from more is less, less is more, whatever. Um, on big maps, more is good. We like it. Um, but don't put it on the map itself. Have the more detail you have on bigger maps have to be separated from it. Uh, past big major things like big cities, town names, things like that. Again, depending on how big your map is, 
those things can be on there, but if they are too close together, put them down separately. You know, make a note, put a number, have a special symbol, whatever. It also lets you reuse maps later on uh, if you want to. Like, you know, you can land the same world ten different times and change the city names. No problem, no one will ever know if, unless they're the same group of people you played with, and they'll be like, this map looks kind of familiar, and be like, no, look, I've added rocks, and they'll go, ha ha, rocks, got it, and move on. Um, so, moving down to detail on uh, battle maps, so a combat style stuff. Now, we talked about the uh, hexes and grids and that kind of stuff. Um, that's obviously, for D&D specifically, one of the more important details, right? Uh, but, we often focus on the hexes, or the, sorry, I'm looking at a hex map currently, so ignore me, the grids, uh, and that's all we focus on, right? We don't really look at the pictures that are drawn on top of or underneath, uh, and whatnot, and it's important to remind our players on any system, right, that the stuff on the map could be important, right? Uh, Star Wars maps, great example, have, like, uh, ships and things like that that are kind of just placed on there randomly for, like, aesthetic reasons, um, don't forget to remind your players they can hide behind those things or those ships might be operational, right? Um, or there might be people hiding out in them. Uh, you know, having the details underneath, right, being added to or actually used is important. Um, on the opposite hand, sometimes you have a map that's like, okay, this is close enough to what I'm trying to get and, like, all those buildings aren't actually there, but the shape of the field is correct or whatever, whatever you're trying to say, right? Or these look like houses, but they're all destroyed. Uh, so you don't gain any cover from. Uh, pointing out the details, right, in the combat maps, uh, whether it's stuff you've drawn or stuff that you already have uh, maps for, like our immersive maps that we use, uh, have super cool details that, you know, we can pretty much keep or ignore if we need to. Um, but having those in there makes stuff interesting, exciting. You know, uh, good example uh, from a game that we didn't record, uh, having a fight in a marketplace, right, and then having all these carts and things from the map actually be there and interrupt people's line of sight and all that really changed the outcome or how the uh, combat could have went, right? So it wasn't just a straight pew, 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 and they killed all the bad guys. It was, oh, hey, the bad guys are running around using cover. We can't see them all the time. They just pop up. Now, obviously, from the top down, they can see where the bad guys are, but... Knowing that their character can't see them because there's too much junk in the way or, you know, there's an old lady in the thing that they don't want to shoot through uh, will make your combat more engaging, especially because they'll ha start asking, like, what stuff is. Like, hey, what's in there? Is it important? Do I care about this thing? Uh, can I burn the old lady down without consequences? Stuff like that, right? And that'll, that'll improve your battle maps tremendously. Now, we talked about using dice and things for uh, physical barriers. A wonderful thing to use dice for is to show elevation, right? D6s or whatever, and just have it be an equivalent grid thing. So if you have a one by one grid, right? And that's the five foot that most people use for D&D. &D. If you put a D6 on there, that means you can have something that's 30 feet up. Uh, and that's all that signifies. You can put an enemy up there, you know, and things like that. So there's some, some elevation to your maps. Uh, if you have flying characters, that's a great way to represent how high they are. Uh, obviously, some characters can get super, super... Uh, high because they have wings and whatnot, so having a D12 is not out of the question, or a D20 underneath them so they know where they're at. Excuse me, elevation-wise? Uh, Roger, didn't I, give, didn't I give you, like, some stands to create elevation for people and things? Uh, that was that was Aaron. You give that to Aaron. Oh, I give this to Aaron. Yeah. But yes, no, those are those are a wonderful product, too. Um, they, they do have those to add, but they're, you know, a little bit expensive and kind of niche, whereas everyone has D6s which is my recommendation for doing elevation and whatnot. 
these sixes will improve your life for that style of stuff, especially if you're playing with people who thinks. Um, you know, Eric Cochran's, Allen's, uh, Dragons, Dragonborn, Sorcerers, whatever. Um, you can use them for any model of things. It's, it's great. Um, so, uh, I'll probably come back to that because obviously there's more on that topic. But uh, details on that bit, right? Uh, adding those details to your map on a combat level situation uh, and making sure your players know that, hey, you can interact with stuff. That will improve your maps immensely immediately. Even your hand-drawn stuff. Um, you know, you have a blank thing and you're just, like, drawing boulders or whatever, they'll start using those boulders and things instead of just being like, oh, hey, it's there. Uh, if you can make it to where they can actually interact with the map, again, especially for the drawn stuff, so, like, you make stuff that is, you know, people-sized and be like, you can pick that boulder up and eat it, I guarantee one character will at least try it. Will they get crushed by the boulder because they roll a one? Yeah, maybe, but that's, that's just as fun for a DM. Uh, at a minimum, you'll get a chuckle out of it, and they'll get a, you know... Hopefully they laugh. Hopefully they didn't murder a character with getting crushed by a rock. But uh, if they did, they'll have a story for forever. Um, okay, jumping over to dungeon maps and things that you would hide or conceal. Uh, Fog of War stuff, right? So if you're using a virtual tabletop, it's really... I'm going to gonna put this in quote. It's really easy, quote-unquote, to make Fog of War. Obviously it's not. There's a lot of stuff you got to do to use it properly, and it takes a bit of practice. But once you get past that practice point and are proficient with it, it's relatively easy to use uh, on various systems. Um, for those of us that are not fortunate enough to uh, use virtual maps on the regular and use real maps, we ended up with you cover your dungeons uh, with paper, right? Uh, so players can't see what's ahead of them and things like that. Uh, totally acceptable option. Um, you can also just draw as you go, right? You have a DM copy or something and then draw it out as you go. It's a little bit slower, but it, it really doesn't let you reveal things and no one can peek under the paper while you run off to the bathroom. Uh, things like that. Um, I personally uh, don't care if my players see the dungeon pass that we're using, right? If they want to left, right, left, right it up and be like, this is probably the most effective route from point A to point B, you know? If you always go left, you'll end, you'll finish the maze kind of stuff. Um, if you do that, right, it's okay to let them see it. You know, their characters shouldn't know what's exactly on there. Don't put, if you do it like that, don't put your character tokens on the board ahead of time, you know, you can put them in a little pile or something, if you want to put them next to the room or something so it's close and easy to put in the way, feel free, um, but just because a player sees a character token on the board, doesn't mean you're necessarily going to use it, um, if you do this, I also suggest that you pull out a couple extra that are just like, uh, ridiculous monsters that are, hey, <laughs> why Why do you have a black dragon on this dungeon? Uh, there, there shouldn't be any rooms big enough to fit that piece. And that's okay. They might not fit. It just they're worried about the dragon instead of the little miniature tokens that you put out there for everyone else. Um, same thing for pennies, quarters, whatever. Throw a couple extra quarters out there because, oh, quarters are big enemies. Ha ha, they're just quarters because I don't want all the change out of my pocket. Whatever. Um, but an easy way to improve detail in the dungeons, right? Uh, is have environmental effects and whatnot that go along as you are traversing and traveling. Uh, stuff getting slippery, wet, extra mossy, uh, poisonous stuff from mushrooms, having just mushrooms in general, 
uh, that could or could not have healing properties, you know, give people a chance to do some naturey stuff. So it's not just like bare stone quarters, unless that is the feel you're going for, where it's a very sterile dungeon. Uh, add life, you know, add add small creatures, mouse, I wouldn't say rabbits, but, you know, stuff, stuff like that that fits into whatever setting you're doing. Because not all creatures are going to attack the players, right? Generally, unless, you know, you're playing uh, Dark Souls. And even then, you know, rabbits are rabbits. Uh... <laughs> But if you are playing Dark Souls of D&D, just make everything a mimic. It'll be, it'll be better that way. Um, so, improving details, right? In simple, simple way uh, to improve any map. Whether you see it, don't see it, show stuff, don't show stuff, uh, so on and so forth. So, RJ, jumping back to you, is there any other areas of improvement that uh, map stuff can go over, you think, in your, in your opinion? Um, so understanding scale, ah, like okay. uh, you Go know ahead. the the one 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 square equals you know five foot square on a in a battle in a battle thing, but on a large map it might it might be a hundred feet or a half mile or you know whatever the scale is going to be, so people can understand why it's going to take four days to go five squares. Right. Okay. So I was gonna, I was going to talk about that in a second for keys on bigger maps, but scaling perfect. Perfect segue. Also, hear me out. Dwarf black dragons. Uh, those are called wormlings, I believe. Yes. Uh, you can have black wormlings. Those are those are pretty cool. Anyway, go ahead. You had something else to add there, therapist. Do you have a preferred name? Judas. Oh, oh, I heard, I heard, I heard stuff. You were there for a second. Judas. Judith. Okay. Cool. Um. All right, all right. So, uh, anything to add on that sentiment before I jump into talking about scale? Yeah, uh, what if you're doing a whole mine shaft inside of a volcano, like, that's, like, in the middle of the map? Okay, so you're doing a mine shaft in the middle of the map. So, uh, this goes into layering, uh, which is something we're going to cover, too, which is really difficult to get right on maps, right? Um, this is where you need a secondary map or visual for your characters uh, that basically turns the map sideways. You can keep your normal map uh, however you have it drawn or whatnot, uh, but having a, uh, a flipped version so they can keep track of where their character is vertically uh, can be exponentially helpful, right? So they're still standing straight up and down or they're climbing or whatever, uh, but if you can indicate where they're at on the mind shaft by drawing, you know, a half circle or whatever, uh, they can move their characters appropriately on one or both of the maps if you have time to put two character tokens, so it makes more sense. Verticality is really hard in D&D, or you have to have, like, I have 26 maps for this 26-level dungeon. Um, please don't make a 26-level dungeon. That's a lot of work on everybody. Um, but mine shafts are a wonderful thing. You can kind of yada yada uh, mine shafts, but you do rob your players of those climbing motifs, and sometimes a vertical battle right, uh, on stuff like that, uh, can be super fun, you know, swinging around on ropes, or getting ropes cut, or instantly having enemies fall to their death, uh, again, players that don't have wings, super disadvantage here, or climbing stuff, uh, can really show their weakness, so sometimes this is a good humbling moment for that barbarian that one-shots everything, sure, he could one-shot the creatures that are climbing on the wall, but they're spiders, and he's a person, uh, and he climbs so fast, and they climb much faster, uh, and he can only hit one at a time where they can stick on the walls and shoot range. You know I mean, and just uh, show them that they they have situations that they're not good at. Or show that they're the best at everything. 
whatever you're trying to do for your characters. Um, but for situations like that, draw a vertical map. Um, I'll get back yeah, so, to scale. So, Go ahead. so Ro- Roger, maybe maybe a better way of saying it is like draw a cutaway. Mm, cutaway, like, okay. Like, yeah, so so you can see that the 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 top of the volcano to the to the bottom level, the vertical shaft. You can get you can parse it up into twenty six levels if you want to or whatever. But that is one picture, and then you have the top down view of each level as you cross. Right. So, uh, again, for mine chat purposes, let's say you're not going into the actual mining bits and checking out all the fun stuff. You're just climbing straight down. Having that cutout section, cutout, I like that, that's a good word, uh, will really help. Because you can then just put the people on the cutout part where, like, we know they're on the mine shaft, and you can put, like, generalized tokens on the other side to, like, show which part of the mine shaft they're crawling down. Oh, excuse me, sorry. Uh, but I think that that would solve the, the issue. And then we go back into scaling. So, uh, you know, do you have a 30-foot mine shaft that's, you know, a floor or two floors worth of climbing? Or do you have a 200-foot mine shaft that just goes into the deep, dark hole? Um, again, having that deep, dark hole makes uh, climbing combat way more possible, likely, easy to do, and all the more necessary to have that cutout so you can know where your characters are, quote-unquote, at. Um, you just have to decide where the overlap should be for the uh, character tokens versus what they're seeing on the map. Um, again, my big suggestion with that is have uh, some other token, piece of paper, coin that follows the the characters on a vertical comparatively to their the the map that you're actually using, so you can see where they're at. Um, again, mine chaps are relatively easy. You just sign a point where oh, they're they're tied to a rope, so they can only go so far down at a time. Yada, yada. Anyway, scaling, sorry. Uh, but, yes, how do you do a 200-foot drop down to a lower level? Because sometimes there's, you know, just digging space that doesn't necessarily have anything in between uh, stuff, right? So you don't need a whole floor level because it's just the shaft. Um, that's where the cutaway really works wonders, right? Whereas if you have 26 actual levels, again, that's that's a huge dungeon. That's a whole campaign. You're doing some SAO silliness or... Uh, Oh, what's the name of that? Uh, um, is it wrong to uh, meet girls in a dungeon? The one of those kind of shows where they're just gonna, like focusing on one dungeon the entire time. Um, so unless you're doing that, stick away from twenty-six level dungeons. Whew. Anyway, um, scaling. I keep jumping to it. Uh, so big tier scaling. Oh, goodbye. See you later. Hopefully. Um, big tier scaling from big giant maps or whatever, right? Uh, you need to add a key. Um, distance is super important. Um, whether or not the map actually comes with the key or not, you as a DM, add one. One way or the other. Um, so we can know the difference between traveling one day per hex or if it's seven days per hex. It, that will give your world substantial bits. We talked about reusing map. Changing the scale can completely change a map, right? Changing a one square journey from being a single day to a week completely throws off how how much travel or how big a place could be, how many encounters you can have, population numbers, all that fun stuff completely changes when you add scale to things. Um, now, mind you, a lot of maps aren't going to have it, so it's you as a DM to or GM, uh, you got to set up the scaling. Um, now, some maps, right, we talked about the Star Wars stuff uh, a little bit earlier, have stuff that have scaling to it. 
Um, I'm thinking currently of uh, one of the maps for uh, Age of Rebellion has a lambda on the uh, thing, and the lambda is quote-unquote IRL size for your character token. So it's actually sized appropriately uh, as if your characters could fit on there the appropriate way. Um, like if they took up the actual space that they would take up, so on and so forth. And it's, you know, half the map is the lambda itself, uh, and the other half is, the, you know, the half a hanger that's not taken up by the ship itself. Uh, so if you have stuff in your foreground that already tells you how big stuff is, especially for uh, combat maps or dungeon maps, uh, that makes life much easier. This is more more so in the fact of scaling to the big maps need to be scaled um, because they're not a lot of the time. Um, for maps that don't actually have like grids uh, for doing stuff, get a ruler, measure stuff out. Uh, the easiest uh, way to think about most settings is there's generally three days to a week in between towns for traveling. So you're talking 60 to 100 miles uh, in between towns, or at least major cities. You know, there might be small villages in between, uh, but major cities are generally a week apart, um, which is why caravanning was so important, traveling with people, yada, yada, because a lot can happen in a week. Um, so uh, if you're not traveling by horse and you're on foot, you know, remember to, to have the appropriate travels, whatnot. Um, also, uh, more advanced civilizations for... This is just talking about world building a little bit really quick. Uh, more advanced civilizations have towns closer to each other. Um, if you think about now and where you live, the nearest town is probably, I'm going to say probably because there are exceptions to rule, uh, within an hour of where you live You know, because we can drive and whatnot. You can drive 60 miles. If you had to do that on foot, it's going to take you, you know, three days, right? Um, towns, are, towns have been like that for a long time size-wise. Um, so that is a pretty reasonable distance between towns. You know, a three-day journey is not not too crazy. Uh, unless, you know, you're going from the big city to a small farming village on the outside. You know, that should be a couple miles away or a day away at most. Um, <clears throat> so when you are looking at big maps from the top down, uh, that's how you should size them. You know what I mean? Uh, get a ruler, measure the distance between the two, and then you can figure out how big your grids are. Uh, and having that scaling on large levels will make traveling much easier, um, which will improve your life as a GMDM and keep you busy, or not keep you busy, however you, however you want to look at it. <clears throat> uh, dropping down again to scaling for the uh, combat mats and whatnot, uh, if you, again, if you're not playing on a blank map that you're drawing yourself, uh, even then, Having the size of things makes sense. We talked about boulders earlier. Well, you can draw a boulder that takes up a five by five foot square, right? But uh, then be like, oh, that's actually a, it's only a five by five thing, but it's a column that's a hundred feet tall. You know, it's it's hard to, to draw that. Uh, rep, wreck ships and things like that that you see on some of our displays when we play, you know, if you actually measured them out, they'd only be 40 foot ships or something silly. Uh, but for the map, they fit perfect. Um, and sometimes you just got to remember that those things were downscaled to make things look better. Uh, or they're supposed to represent smaller ships, and it's things to talk about in the worlds you play in and whatnot. Uh, combat maps, again, when you're down to the degree and people-sized things, scaling doesn't get too important until you get to like, oh, I want to play characters that are shooting at 250 feet away from each other. You know, uh, Starfinder has sniper rifles. 
uh, and that can be an issue because most maps are, you know, one-inch grids that are five by five. You can still play at high high range distances, right, on maps. You just got to make the squares value much higher. And generally, when you do that, uh, you shouldn't shouldn't not that you can't uh, use maps with background stuff unless you want that background stuff to suddenly be much smaller than it is or much bigger. Again, depends on what map you're using. Uh, that little, you know, the little tree that's on there suddenly goes from a, oh, it's a cute little tree, to, ah, that is a giant tree that has been there for 400 years, and we just blew it up with a fireball. Good job, us. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but, yeah, um, let's see. Oh, dungeons and, uh, again, close quarters, things that revealed scaling-wise. Um, the big thing about those is consistency right so if you go from narrow corridors that are five by five feet that you can fit one person through the entire time and then it suddenly opens up you don't necessarily need to change the map itself um you just have to increase how big the uh squares are so they represent a bigger chunk of wherever you're going uh and just remember to let you know three or four characters fit in a square if it is a 15 by 15 square or something silly uh, be consistent when you're giving your scaling is <laughs> what I am trying to say here. But that would allow you to fit. We talked about giant dragons and dungeons. Well, okay, so I'm using a map that only has a room that's 20 by 20. Well, we're going to turn that 20 by 20 into uh, 100 by 100. Again, just random number there. Uh, but, and then put the model on there. So now this, you know, was an adult black dragon. And surprise, ancient black dragon that's, you know, the size of a small town. Good luck fighting that, heroes. Uh, and then they proceed to do whatever. Okay, um, so next next bit. RJ, I'm going to jump back to you because you are coming up with some great things for me to ramble about. What you got for me? Anything else on this this matter o scaling slash other so, stuff? So uh, I think you touched a little bit on it, but uh, legends, uh, you can actually have an actual scale in the legends. So if people want to ruler, ruler measure it, and then the, the legends... Uh, can tell you the different size of towns or uh, bridges or you know different uh, features. Right, I, are, said, they, they can, I called them keys, but yeah, legends works too. Yeah. Um, and you can again add those to your maps if they don't have them. Please, that makes life way simpler uh, and lets you you know explain stuff without necessarily having to explain everything. Most people that you are playing with can read. Generally, unless you're playing with toddlers or people that can't read, um, they do exist. Uh, but you know, having that information on there allows them to gather knowledge as a player without necessarily uh, having to have seen it. And it's stuff that would easily translate to, oh, hey, my character's seen a map of this region before. They have a general idea of what's in front of them, uh, kind of thing. But yeah, legends. So, really... and, I, and I guess the last thing is probably a skill level thing. Like something that's right in my wheelhouse because I'm a draftsman, I can go to 3D. I can make a 3D map that's visually workable. But again, I have the computer programs to do it. I have the years of experience. It's right in my wheelhouse. But it may not be for everybody, but it, it makes for an incredible map when you can't go to the cutaway freeway. Okay, so uh, that's a that's a great way to improve your maps. But unlike most of these other tips or tricks, it does require some skills, and this applies. To across the board on various other skills, right? So if you're a really good artist, right, and can draw fancy murals or things like that, that can be a way of covering up dungeons, right, and just have 
pretty stuff over the top of it that you remove as you go. Uh, using post-it notes, you know, is a fantastic way of doing that, you know, because you can draw and do fun things. Uh, and as they go to new sections, there's a list of... Uh, this is actually something I've, I've heard of before, right? So they, you're going through a dungeon, and instead of having monsters and things like that, when they reveal a new section, they pull their post-it note that's covering stuff up or whatever, and underneath has, like, the loots or items that they can get for defeating the boss or searching the area. And you as a DM just hold on to that until they do the thing. And then, oh, hey, we found a chest. Good job. You found the hidden chest. Here's, boom, something cool that you get on a post-it note. And then, hey, you've written down what they get. Uh... Uh, and so on and so forth. Cool concept. Maybe use it. That it goes both ways. For as a player, because you get excited for seeing the post-it notes, and be as a DM, it you know a little bit of prep work. Bada bing, bada boom. If you're one of the DMs that likes to cover their dungeon up, you're already doing prep work. I guarantee it. Post-it notes is just an extra step slash a cool way to cover stuff up. Now you don't necessarily have to make a post-it notes. It can be normal paper that you just write on the back. Uh, but post-it notes are kind of like a progression thing. You know, I mean, they, you get every couple feet there's something, and it uh, almost makes it to where there is a definite check. Uh, it can also signal to your players, "Hey, you want to check the area with the post-it notes because that means there's something there, whether it's an encounter or a hidden treasure chest or something, right?" Uh, and you can uh, have these things like proc in your game. We'll say. Uh, when people take, like, the alert feat or Dungeon Delver or feats that make sense for giving them the, like, they know where the treasure's at. Uh, narratively, you could just have someone who's extremely lucky if you are playing a guidepost character. Uh, so that's a GM playing a player along with his player characters. Uh, or table mates, whatever you want to call you, you peeps. Uh, having that uh, be like, oh, hey, he automatically has an idea of where stuff is, and that just explains why you're doing it. Not necessarily that it's a thing, but that he can kind of be like, I think there's something over there. Um, it's an easy write-off. You know, obviously you can do it with basically any character, but here, there, wherever, boom. Um, yeah, but going back into the skill, sorry, change it over here. Uh, you can improve your stuff. We talked about the detail, the scaling, all that with, with relative ease, uh, but the 3D stuff, that takes a lot of work. Uh, but maps also apply to the virtual tabletops, which is a relatively new addition to the TTRPG group. You know, I say relatively new, but they've been around for five plus years, whatever. Um, but in the scheme of things, you know, it's new. Uh, getting good with those is super helpful with stuff. Um, obviously, uh, here at AWE, we tend to jump away from that so we can teach people easier on more traditional methods. Uh, you know, we tend to stay away from apps unless they're like roller apps or things like that that make your life easier to not carry dice and things. Um, but they are super helpful, and if you have the time and energy, go check them out. Um, that it will take a tad bit of skill getting used to, though. You know, I'm not gonna preface that ahead of time. It will take prep work. You can't just jump on one uh, and build, you know, a map that's playable and. 30 seconds like you can just drawing something on a piece of paper which is the advantage of drawing something on a piece of paper because you can just freehand it and call it good uh, which is also a fantastic skill you know besides the regular improv that we talk about drawing drawing skills invaluable you know uh, even if you're not just drawing player characters being able to draw a small valley that has obstacles and things that your players are going to run through super important and then we can talk about the scaling on that one right go back to that whereas you can draw an outline for something that's just a hey you're going to walk through and look through things and places uh right that don't necessarily have 
grits, right? You're not going to use it for combat, but having a drawn map of the area uh, could be really interesting for RP slash setting slash just general feel, right? So you can have a large area drawn out <clears throat> that isn't a combat map that goes into combat maps if they happen to run into combat uh, and kind of treat it like you do a dungeon uh, except for without walls. I know, sounds silly. It makes sense in practice. Um, so, so, Roger, um, oh, go ahead. This, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, this this no. might be a little this might be a little off topic. Um, just off topic. In my own head. Go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. There's a, there's there was a, a website. I want to say it was D20 Token or something like that. That you could it would like it had randomly generated maps and randomly generated monsters for it. Mm-hmm. And ran and randomly generated. Trip. You remember the name of that website? I do not remember the name of that website, but I there's a couple of them uh, that are out there that are definitely worth checking out. Uh, because if you struggle at making maps, uh, there are programs out there that do that kind of stuff for you. Uh, the only issue is, obviously, it doesn't translate to playing at the table. So if you're playing in an online game suite, if you're good at drawing and can re recreate things that you see, heck yeah, they're super, super great. Uh, but they do not turn into combat maps very well, unless you're using them on, uh, again, the virtual tabletop. Some of them take those kind of maps and just overlay them over whatever you're drawing um and again if you're using those heck yeah figure it out it's uh it's cool stuff um yes but they are out there check them out i don't have any that i can recommend because i don't generally use them but i've definitely seen some where i've been like oh yeah that's awesome um to the point of some of them have like they randomly generate countries political alignments you know they can be super super detailed you know it takes you 20 minutes to set it up but it takes three seconds for it to poop out a map Boop. There you go. Here's an entire world. Good luck. Or here's an entire city. Good luck. Um, dungeons, things like that. Yeah, they're, they're super cool. Um, I recommend checking them out if that is something where you struggle or, or don't have the pre-made maps uh, and have to draw stuff anyway. Or if you are a uh, person that preps a lot of their sessions and have extra time to do so and retrace and all that fun stuff, they're wonderful. Um, okay, so we've been in here for let me, let me check the check the timer check check the timer. Hey, we're sitting at forty minutes. We've been we've been talking a while. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up at this point. Do you questions, comments, concerns? Um, yeah. Therapist, feel free to. I'm gonna call you that because I'm terrible with names and I apologize. Uh, if you want to just type in general, feel free, or you can hop back on here and ask your questions if you have any. RJ, you got any final thoughts? If you are talking, I cannot hear you. <laughs> How do you draw a volcano? Um, okay, so, um... <laughs> that that's an interesting question um do you mean like a little volcano or like a volcano with a, a base on it are you drawing it on the map to indicate it's there what kind of volcano are you trying to draw for those of you listening to podcasts later i am reading stuff out of the general chat <laughs>
Okay, uh, Volcano that separates two cities and has an abandoned mine shaft in it. Well, that sounds very specific. Um, so you would have one city on one side, one city on the other, and then a volcano in between that has a, a mine shaft in it. Um, okay, so that, I would draw that with three maps, unless you're doing a large overhead view. Uh, showing the shaft that is in said volcano ne doesn't necessarily have to be super big. Again, I don't know how big the of a shaft you're trying to get. Is it a giant mining shaft, or is it just kind of like, we were exploring the volcano and found ancient ruins kind of shaft? If it's something that size, you don't necessarily have to show it on a map. Um, because uh, having a city, right, implies a pretty large population, which would imply if two cities are being separated by a whole volcano, that the volcano is equally or very close in size to those two cities. Uh, otherwise, the cities, I assume, would be conjoined, um, or at least close to each other. Uh, drawing them, again, uh, if you want to have, like, one side be a city, one side be a city, and have the vol active volcano kind of in the center, uh, you could do that. But, you know, uh, make sure you draw something that, like, shows that the cities are protected from the lava, if they are. You know, maybe it's a nomadic city that moves continuously. Um, I don't have any major suggestion because I don't know where your, your head's on this. Okay, or a mine shaft. Okay, so switching off a volcano and just going to a mine shaft. Um, so, this is a, a layers issue, right? How big of a mine shaft do you want? Do you want it to be two, three levels? Do you want it to be a whole bunch of little tuttles? Uh, because a mine shaft is, you could basically just draw a dungeon and be like, there's minerals and there's walls, and go from there um, because they function basically the same. There's many mine shafts that are dungeons, so on and so forth. Um, so you would just draw how you would draw a dungeon map, but change the environmental settings to be, oh hey, there's lava in places, or oh hey, there's there's gold here, or there was gold here, but no longer, and instead there's monsters. Uh, mine shafts generally have rooms that open up into areas where people drill and mine, uh, whereas if you're digging into lava beds for whatever, um, you know, obviously you'll have areas that are like, oh, don't go in there, or there's warnings, or you can see the lava pouring through the wall slowly, don't go over there. Um, but just kidding, it's illusion magic. <laughs> Whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, how do you draw that? <sighs> draw a dungeon. That's that's the easiest way to, to think about it. Um, again, with the, with the mine shaft, if you're going down, having a fight on there, you just draw half a circle, right? Uh, or a half a cylinder on a map and then add details like oh there's ledges here or don't you know I mean if it's a real mine shaft you know maybe have tools at the top and tools at the bottom and everything in between is just you know remove dirt uh if you want it to be like oh hey my characters don't necessarily have to have a rope they can just jump their way down because there's platforms at the platforms uh if there's a lot of construction equipment that span the the shaft on multiple levels uh you know you can do that um Again, size is important, depending on how big you want it. Do you want it to be a couple hundred feet? Do you want it to be ten feet? Uh, you know, shafts don't necessarily have to be super huge. Uh, it could be a failed well, or a failed mining shaft, you know? Sometimes you get into uh, mining, and you drill into rock, and oh gosh, there's that black dragon we talked about. Oh, it's dwarf black dragons, there's three of them, everyone run, run for your life. Uh, what's that? Rain of Fire, right? Had a mining operation uh, at the very beginning of the movie, where the, the dragons are discovered. You could totally do something similar to that story-wise, slash reasons why the, there's people jumping in the mines. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, the, the setting that you're setting up or detailing or whatever you want to call it uh, would probably take multiple maps. You know, I mean, you'd want a big overview map of the area. Uh, 
you might need an even bigger map of the entire world. Again, I don't know how big your campaign is you're trying to run or what the, the focus is, so I can't really help too much without more information, but this is just assumptions here. But big open world map, and then we cut down to the mineshaft slash volcano tunnels uh, as their own map. Um, and then you could, you know, make maps of either city if you wanted to uh, for using stuff. I hope that uh, answered your question. Uh, if you have any more, this is the time to ask it. That's, we don't really have a time limit. I just, you know, try to keep these things under an hour. Um, but if it goes over, that means we're interacting. I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay, perfect. Good, good, good. I'm glad, I'm glad I answered your questions. Um, let's see. Um... I'm going to jump back to Dagger House one more time. Any other questions, comments, concerns? Um, so, uh, you really talked a lot about land structures. What about maps with water? And then, of course, the bottom of the sea is actually land under the water. So you have there's like two layers to that map. You have the top water part, and then you have the land underneath. That's okay. the best way to handle that. Okay, so uh, you answered it in your own question. Uh, if there's two layers, you make two maps. Um, generally, if you're on water, it's a blank map because uh, the water, if you're in an ocean, per se, you make a blank map because generally the water is not shallow enough to where it'll reach the bottom, right? And if you do go to the bottom, you need a separate map anyway because you're 100 feet under the waves or whatever. Uh, if you are, uh, like, playing on the beach and things like that, um, unless there is something in that oh, 10 feet under the water, 40 feet from the beach... Uh, you don't really need to worry about details on that one and just leave that area as, hey, that's water, don't die, here's some rocks jigging out of spots and things. I mean, you can do that in open waters too, be like, oh, hey, there's rock formations here that are sticking out that you know ships have crashed on or that you're supposed to avoid or, oh, hey, you've been swimming for three hours and you happen to find these rocks, but there's monsters there and you're fighting the monsters off the rocks. Whatever, whatever your story that you're telling is going through. Um, but generally, just for ease on pretty much across the board for water maps, uh, leave them blank. You know, let, uh, b besides the, oh, hey, here's a boat, or hey, this is where my character is, uh, obviously, you know, don't, don't not put stuff on your board. We talked about detail. Uh, the ocean is relatively hard to draw on the top, like, like, just to describe. So if you just leave it blank and let the characters kind of fill in their own minds on that one, that's okay. You're not doing a lot of detail there. And then on overland maps and things like that, uh, if there's known places that are out in the middle of the ocean, you know, trading convoys, pirate things, whatever, that the, the players might know about, add them. Why not? Never hurts anything. Add extra fun cities that are kind of cool and unique to their own little worlds. Um, talking about volcanoes, add volcanoes. Uh, you know, if you have dragons in your world, there can be dragons at the volcanoes or krakens or whatever mythical beast uh, or creatures that you think fit there. Uh, you know, some settings are set with tritons and things like that. Have underwater cities if you have tritons. Uh, and maybe not reveal them unless one of your uh, player characters is a triton or some kind of fishy monster. Um, but yeah, that, that's that, those, those are making making the maps a little bit better. We'll probably cover this again with uh, a younger man because he is a, a map expert uh, comparatively to me for uh, using maps to tell stories. Uh, I use maps for setting pieces. Uh, he uses maps to tell stories, and it's fantastic to see. Uh, but unfortunately, he was busy today, so it's just me today. Ha 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 ha. Okay, anything else? Uh, that was a great, a good question, though. I'm good. Okay.
therapist, you got anything, you're good to go. And uh, Miss Peters, if you have anything, I will give you a whopping two minutes of silence. Unless you have something to say. Oh, they left. All right, cool beans. That I'm gonna take that as he that was good and he enjoyed it. Um. All right. Well, I'm gonna end the uh, podcast real quick. Do, 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 do. Uh, with an adventure in mind. Maybe if I can exit the screen. With an adventure in mind. I hope you all had a great night. Ah, thank you, Miss Peters, for the response. I appreciate you. Well, that's that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed tonight's stuff. Uh, we got new stuff going on in the server. Uh, come check it out. We got some cool integrations now. So if you tag us on Twitter at at ahsllc, uh, so a h h all caps lowercase s capital llc, uh, you can we'll see your tweets. They'll show up in our general. Don't show. Don't do anything super inappropriate. Ha ha ha. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful night with an adventure in mind. Uh, have a good time.